You're listening to We Are Netflix. A discussion between Netflix employees. And I'm Michael Paulson. I'm Lyle Troxell. You know, as UI engineers, we both deal with a lot of the look and feel of the applications. But the question is, who actually creates that look and feel? Today we're talking to two product designers here at Netflix, Alex Bronke and Michaela Wagoner. Well, welcome both to uh, We Are Netflix podcast. We, we're you know talking about the culture here, but also talking about how we do what we do here. As designers and motion designers, what's the difference between a designer and a motion designer? Uh, I come from a design background, so I switched into motion design after practicing being a visual and product designer for a while. Um, the handoff, it's really collaborative, so a lot of the process is uh, working closely with the product designer, visual designer, UX designer, um, and really thinking through the experience flow and how things could seamlessly transition and move, um, as well as thinking about a holistic motion system throughout a product. So anytime there's an animation happening between two screens or scrolling along and having things fade in or maybe opening something with a zoom or a pop kind of effect, you're the one that kind of thinks through that process, designs that flow and process. Yes. Um, And a lot of the times the product designers work on that as well. And then I help uh, kind of curate the specifics when it's going to productization or being built by engineers. Why is it a specialty specifically? Uh, I think understanding uh, the flow of how an experience can guide a user's perception of things is important. Uh, A lot of product designers do think that way, but specializing in that really means looking at the whole thing as an ecosystem so that, you know, you don't have something bouncing on the screen in the first one second and then you're halfway through things and it just moves differently. Motion definitely grabs attention, right? Yeah. Users pick up on subtleties or my job is hopefully to make them not notice anything, but they just like how it feels. Yeah, it is, it's interesting because I don't think we have the same kind of uh, language around motion design that we do around color and shape and all these other things. It's hard to say what that transition looks like unless, of course, you're developing it in After Effects or coding it by hand and you know it's like a, a type of curve is how we talk about motion most of the time. Yep. Michaela, um, are you, how do you take what you've designed and pass it off to someone like Michael to have it be implemented in the UI? Uh, a lot of the time we loop in the engineers early enough so I can kind of gauge, is this even possible? Um, or what is the extent of the possibility? I tend to try and go crazy and move as many things as I can. And then we um, pull back from there to figure out what's the best experience and what's the best uh, engineering implementation. But I provide specs as far as uh, milliseconds and easing curves and what elements move when and every motion designer does it really differently the language of math though is a basically have to yes do it. So i had yeah. to learn that yeah and do you actually normally make video loops or something to pass on as well to get the feel for that whatever someone needs it's different almost every time gifts to videos um prototypes has been really useful in just showing something and then winging it sitting side by side happens too. Okay. Alex, how, how does your role in product design differ than motion design? Describe what you're kind of working on and, and focusing on. Yeah. So uh, as a product designer, um, I'm basically uh, thinking about the entire experience for the user. And sometimes that means I do visual. Sometimes it means I do UX. Sometimes I'm thinking about the strategy for the business. Um, so it it's much more high level, I would say. Um, and then there's times where I do get in the weeds of, like, the pixels. But um, I, I feel like as a product designer, moving from my previous role as a visual designer, um, it's definitely a lot more thinking about the business. Okay. When you say visual design versus UX, can you describe, first define UX? Mm-hmm. Not so, everybody's a designer. She said product sure. designer. <clears throat> Sorry. 
Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, there is. I know there's like 99 terms for any kind of designer. Um, but UX designer is specifically focused on the user experience. That's what UX stands for. Um, and a designer who focuses solely on UX might just think about uh, the end-to-end experience for the user in any given feature. Okay. Um, and they might only ever execute in wireframes. Um, whereas a visual designer may take those wireframes and actually skin them and, you know, go into Photoshop or Sketch or what have you and actually make it look beautiful and Choose aesthetically all the colors. pleasing. Yeah. And is that more the visual design aspect? Yes. So you're saying you do all of those things here? As a product designer, you can do all of those things. It's up to you. That's kind of the the interesting part about working at Netflix is that you're free to choose where to spend your time and in what way and what capacity. So sometimes um, I like to devote a little more time to visual design than some of the other designers here at Netflix um, because I feel better when something is up to a certain level of polish. But some designers don't waste time doing that. And there are are designers that are dedicated purely to visual design on the team. So you might have someone that does the UX flow, figures out the entire flow process, but it's wireframes, which just means like black and white lines effectively or just boxes. And then somebody else comes in and makes it beautiful with visual design. And so that partnership kind of works as well. Mm -hmm. So I've worked with you on design. We worked on a project called Kong a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of maybe your first projects here. Yeah. And that was um, – we made a, desi- a display page was really based around a character. And, yes, it had a lot of polish. It was beautiful. Thank you. And I got used to having designs that fully baked. Yeah. Don't always get them here too because <laughs> there's so much freedom and responsibility. Um, what would it feel like to have that thing launch, like something that you spent a lot of time on, that you and I spent a lot of time on together, and have it slowly get turned off and go away? What does yeah. that feel like as a designer? Um Well, so I've done a ton of learning in my three years here at Netflix, and I really came from a very visual role before this. So I really hadn't thought about um, the business strategy of design before this role. And I think that's really what's changed for me is when I came in and I started to work on Kong, it was such a, I mean, interactive in general is just such a new space for Netflix. And it sort of felt like blue sky. Let's, let's like, you know, innovate here. But now looking back at it, what we made wasn't very scalable. Um, it was great for that one show. Yeah. And so I totally understand why it didn't work and why it's, you know, kind of a barnacle on the whole code base. So what do you mean scalable? So um, when you design something for one show, it's great if it will work for every other show that is like it. So um, in that scenario, we had done something very custom, specific to the battles in Kong and specific to the Kong character itself. And it just wasn't going to be reusable from a code base perspective. So when you say business, it, what you really mean is thing, uh, being able to take something and be able to use it a bunch. Or being able to be most efficient for the business. That's what I mean when I say scalable. Okay. You talked about product design and visual design, um, but you seem to touch a lot more on the business aspect. What other business aspects are you looking at in the app? Not not just the scalability aspect, but other aspects of the business. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of strategies as a business that we can take, and maybe we choose some and, cho- and don't choose others. And um, as a designer, you're part of that process? It's something that we think about definitely as product designers. So to use an, uh, an example outside of Netflix, uh, if you have a music service where the user is able to create playlists, 
that they can't take off the service, they're much more likely to retain. So stay a member longer with that service. So they've invested all this time and energy making sure that this song follows this song with this song. Exactly. If they did a lot, that investment in time actually makes them more stuck to that service. Yeah, they're not leaving. So how does that work with Netflix? Because we don't really have a lot of that type of customization, nor would it make much sense. Right. So the question is, is it worth it from a business perspective to start brainstorming features where users can do something like that? Um, and we're thinking about that all the time. You know, as far as we prioritize our projects, if we have new ideas, some will be more valuable to the business in the long run. Because it might not fit what we want to be able to do. Exactly. Interesting. Do you both focus on mobile or both platforms? Or do you? I'm mobile and cross-platform. Okay. Multiple platforms. So you're pulled in for other Focusing well. on mobile. All right. Yeah. The mobile space, uh, the, the rules that might be appropriate two years ago are completely different now. So how do you... How do you maintain like kind of contemporary feel on these apps or on these platforms? I mean, I would say I feel like just by being on the internet every day, I have sort of a tapped in, you know, source to like the current and I'm checking Dribble, I'm checking Design Inspiration, I'm checking Pinterest and basically, you know, there's just places you go as a designer to look for inspiration. You're mm-hmm. listening to podcasts with other designers on them, you're talking to other designers. Um so I think just like being a human in the world sort of keeps you in touch with what um, design it should be at that moment in time. Um, I don't. I don't know. I guess I like. I also like going to like art museums mm-hmm. um, as a way to sort of break out of the dribble internet source, right? Because a lot of that starts to look very similar. How do you find? Do you find it frustrating that you come up with some ideas, some feelings, something you want to implement in the app, and it takes a while for? people like us to implement the the UI aspect and to change the business model to do it. Do you feel um, slowed? No. How so? Not at all. Um, I mean, part of it is that um, as a product designer, especially at Netflix, I don't know about other companies, but um, you have to think about, sometimes we'll have these blue sky ideas and you have to think about, okay, what is the minimum signal What's the least amount of effort we can invest as a business to get a signal that this whole thing is going to be worthwhile? So sometimes we'll even break things down to their smaller parts and ship a test for that part. And then it's sort of building on itself over time. And we even incorporate that methodology into our interview process. So we'll have a designer come in and they'll blue sky in, um They'll blue sky concept something like, you know, we'll brainstorm for something completely different other than Netflix, and then they'll give us a concept playlist or something, right? Exactly, and Mm -hmm. so they'll they'll present this blue sky feature, and then we'll ask them, okay, if you had to ship the most basic part of this to get a signal, what would it be? How how could you do that so that the business has the least investment? Why do you why do you find like it seems like you're kind of you like the idea of testing little pieces trying to get signal out of whether it's useful or not. How does that how does that stack with your aesthetic and your your beauty design and your creativity? How do you mesh those two things? It's my job to make everything beautiful no matter how small. Um, but the reason that I like doing it that way is because we are a company that serves 100 million people worldwide. You basically can't be on the cutting edge of, you know, usability or, you know, because nobody's going to understand how to use your product. So it's 
beautiful and simple is basically what we're aiming for in the Netflix app so that everyone can use it, whether they're in India or in South America or in the U.S. How do you balance? I I have to make the assumption that not all apps operate the same across the world. So how do you balance some of that, that? Do you find that some places struggle with designs, whereas other places don't? Um, I don't know if struggle with designs is the right term. And I think what we're trying to do is ship tests that perform well globally. But um, there are uh, geolocations where um, they maybe think a little differently than we do. And not to say that that's bad. It's just a different way to think, right? Um, Japan, for example, thinks a little differently than the U.S. does. So um, we have a team there right now that is uh, looking into that culture and going and doing user research and actually trying to understand, is it worth it for the business to customize this experience for this market? People might not understand that we actually have, you know, an iOS app, an Android app, a TV app, a a Windows uh, website app, and all of those work on all of our languages and um, even the right-to-left languages reverse the the view of the, the app. So in some ways, we do change the app, but in most ways, it stays the same. Um, and besides the catalogs, of course, are also different. So it's interesting to think that the app that you see is only one slight variant of this thing that is a global product. And we've leaned pretty heavily on that concept of a global product. So that we now are starting to look at are there places where the way a person thinks and interacts with it is fundamentally so different that we could really improve it by making some investment in that area. And, of course, we have to be really selective on doing that. I want to get kind of back to this thought, though, that um, – it's tr- and I totally get 100 million people, and actually more than that because mm-hmm. people have, those are get paid accounts, and so there's pro- other right. profiles and family members and stuff. Of course, they're not doing the same things you're doing by looking at Dribbble, looking at the designers, and following people, and getting a, a zeitgeist of how design is moving and changing. And therefore, of course, you have to give them something that makes sense. And so, are you saying that the reason we do the testing, the signals, is really to translate what will work, what what ideas will work? Yeah, that's part of it for sure. Have you? Created, if either of you created something and launched it and saw it fall flat on its face, and not launched, well, um, I mean, tested. but definitely, yeah, we've gone into qualitative research with products that people are like, "What is this?" Okay, let's talk about qual. What, what is qualitative research? Um, so, or how do we practice it here? I should say. Sure. So we have um, consumer insights partners that we work with, and some of them are focused on quantitative, and some of them are focused on qualitative. And the qualitative aspect is where it's more about uh, speaking to real people, focus groups, uh, or um, going to facilities and and having people come in and use the product. Um, And that's really – so quantitative data and qualitative data have to work hand in hand. And sometimes you can look at quantitative data and sort of try to understand what's going on. But the qualitative data can help you sort of fill in the gaps and understand why people are doing what they're doing. So we might see that in in, quali- in quantitative analysis, meaning be launching a feature that has a new blue button on the right hand side that opens your I don't know your wish list or something, and we find that in, that nobody uses it in, in uh, quantitative, like it's not being used very much at all. And the people that do use it actually cancel from the service, like something weird like that. If we were to do that without any knowledge about how a person thinks and interacts with our app. We can make up lots of reasons. Oh, the color's wrong or the placement's wrong or the actual thing wasn't what they expected. All these different ideas. So instead you're saying that in qualitative analysis you actually go and talk to people and say, what do you think about that blue button? Yeah. 
How many people do you have to interview to really make sure you actually get what the, the feel is? Like is there some minimum number you have to do? So for qualitative research, it depends. Um, usually for like a full-scale uh, qual session, which that's what we call it here, um, it's two days with about six to eight participants each day. Um, and it's we find that it's enough. Usually the second day we start to hear a lot of repetitive things that we heard on the first day, but we do it just to make sure. Um, and then we also have things called tiny quals, which we host on site. And those are um, – it's one day and it's about six participants for 15 minutes each. So it's a much shorter, condensed way to get real human feedback. And we do them here at the office. We do. So we have like a, a qualitative analysis room where it's space mm-hmm. people can sit and we talk with them. Michaela, you've done qualitative analysis as well in these in these tiny quals. What kind of things are you learning from people that you are surprised about? I think um, really subtle changes always come up. Uh, sometimes we go into larger quals or even tiny quals, and we see a behavior within the first couple people that we are usually surprised about. And then um, with a small little tweak, like a close, an X for a close versus a down arrow to close can totally throw off the experience and what someone will actually move through. Um, we've also found... Wait, you, so you found a difference between an upside-down chevron to close and a, an X yeah. to close having different meanings for a person. Yes, completely. And Which one is better? <laughs> it depends on the the type of person. It depends on the experience. And so certain experiences, you just have to stay away from that chevron because people will translate it to mean some other action than what we actually intend. Wow. Um, and then even subtle things um, like animating a button to come in or animating the screen upwards will change how they think they can close it. Um, so, so if you had a drawer from the bottom that slid up, then maybe the chevron down actually makes sense. Yeah. But the close button doesn't. By the Sometimes. way, a chevron is a down arrow for anyone that's wondering, right? Or an up arrow or a an arrow pointing effectively. A carrot. Yeah, a carrot. <laughs> I didn't know what a chevron was until just recently. Oh. On your keyboard, the shift six is a chevron pointing yes. up or a carrot. Um, that sounds like you might be actually modifying things as you're going through qual. Yes. Um, usually I work really closely with the prototyper or the engineer, and we can make changes on the fly to kind of say like, okay, we've seen this a couple times. Should we change it? How much? We'll just make a quick edit. Um, sometimes the prototypers will actually do multiple versions. So that you can switch between different, um, I would call them maybe recipes of the layout of the page or what could be shown on it to see. So we can really tease out those fine details and figure out what's actually causing a behavior or a certain perception of the feature experience. Michaela, are you looking at the business aspect as well? Yes. Analysis? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is pervasive. Yeah. I think a big example of that was when I first started, mobile was such a smaller class citizen in the platforms and since going global it's become so massive that the mobile team really does try and focus on these um, aspects of the business that can just drive discovery and use of the mobile app so we are looking through it through that business lens of not only what does it really mean to the user to make them love the netflix experience but how does that actually help us as well because um, it's our jobs to make the experience better, uh, and that kind of leans on the Netflix brand to speak to that, which is our business. So, can can you be a designer without considering the business decisions, or it, it, it does everybody kind of have this as like the base line? Um, so, like I was saying at my visual role before, 
I don't know if I was so aware of the business considerations. I maybe was just um, doing it without really knowing. Um, but honestly, I think being aware of it does make you a better designer. Is this more of like a – because we talk a lot about context versus control. And so since everybody's kind of given more of the context of what we're attempting to create or win, therefore you think about the business more just naturally. Does that – yeah, I would agree with that. I think uh, as we look at the experience and we look at data that we get back, it can inspire an idea. Alex does this a lot with different designs where she'll get a piece of data that, you know, users are having an issue finding this, but they, they go and they search for it. So finding ways that we can design experiences that elevate those things is an easy way for us to test into something that benefits us because, you know, more people are finding things to watch. Um, but it benefits them because they're not wasting their time digging through things. I want to talk about something concrete, something real that we can all chat a little bit about in a design sense. And um, something that I know is public knowledge, and I think because we've launched it, is the previews interface in the mobile app. Either of you work on previews at all? We both yeah, did. We oh, both great. Did. Okay. Describe what previews is. Yeah. So previews is a feature in the Netflix app that lets you watch back-to-back trailers in the style of Instagram stories. Okay. And so it shows up as little circles kind of below your big billboard canvas at the top of the mobile app. We're talking about mobile. We're talking about phone for Android and iOS. Um, and it's very – it's a very different – like first off, it's not a rectangle. Normally we do rectangles. <laughs> so it's colored. Um, but what are the things like – sorry, it also has a color around it that kind of brings in some tonal stuff. So why do we do this? How do we test it? How do you develop it? What do you do to qual? Just describe the process a bit. So the way that the the project started, maybe we can start there. Uh, we have these big brainstorms with our engineers, with designers, with PMs, and uh, we happen to have one about a year and a half ago. Um, and it, it's one of our post-it note brainstorms where everyone gets into a room. We have some ideas. We say maybe how might we do this and this for Netflix? And people have a minute to write down all of their ideas on post-it notes. So uh, something happened in that meeting where I was like, what if Netflix was Instagram? What if Netflix was Pinterest? What if Netflix, you know, I was trying to run through all of the most popular apps that people know how to use and love and trying to sort of figure out, okay, if Netflix were to be like those apps, what would we be like? Yeah. And really I was just spitballing. Yeah. I didn't think anything would come from it. And I think even when we like talked about it, there were giggles in the room of like, yeah, okay, we're not really going to do that. But then um, when I said, what if Netflix was Instagram, our PM, Cameron Johnson, was like, wait a minute, what about stories? And so then we were like, oh, yeah, what about stories? If we did stories as, as at Netflix, what would that be like? And at that time, too, there was kind of a meme of like everyone's doing stories. Um, but we were still kind of interested in, in it. And so I just took it back to my desk and started to make designs and prototype what it might be like. Um, our, my manager saw it and was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Let's explore some different design variations. Wait, so, so that's a different pattern than you normally have at a company, right? Because what happened is you started investigating something you thought was interesting. Right. And then your manager found out about it and went, yeah. oh, cool, and kind of supported your idea. Yeah. I don't think that happens most businesses. No, yeah. <laughs> that was actually a big shift for me too. Um, it took me about a year to realize that no one was going to give me my projects or assignments and I sort of had to decide what was best for the business using the context and the knowledge that I have. Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. so you're playing with it's this thing. It's great. Yeah. But it also is a little challenging because coming from um, the different roles that I've been in before, I had a manager who was handing me down projects and I had goals and expectations that were very clear. And so I knew how to meet them and exceed them. And here, because I didn't have projects, I didn't have any like line right. to try am to cross. I, am I doing right? Right, right yeah. exactly. So then at some point I was just like, well, you know what? I'm just going to work on like what I think is best for the business and what I what gets me really excited. And if I go down, at least I went down having a ton of fun. Well, it didn't go down with the previews because obviously it kept on moving. So at one point – so, I mean, in general, it is trailers in a little circle. You launch it. It opens a new view. You see a trailer. As you swipe back and forth, you can launch more and more trailers. Yeah. Really fun way to kind of explore new trailer content. Mm-hmm. And we hadn't had um, – an interface for our trailer ideas, except for kind of deep in the app. You'd have to step through one show and play mm-hmm. it and then step to another show and play it. Right. So this really gained an affordance to kind of explore the catalog through video. How did you take this to people, you know, qual, to, to individuals and say, do you like it? Or do you just go, you know what, it's going to work because it's working on all these other social media platforms? Yeah. So um, after some initial brainstorms and actually it was right before I left for my wedding that the video team was like, hey, we have all these trailers because we weren't thinking about trailers. We were thinking about different parts like, you know, Stranger Things has an 80s theme to it and a monster theme to it and, a, you know, Winona Ryder theme to it. And maybe we could, like, parch these all up together and and merch is basically what, what's merch to a normal person. It's like sell you on a show based on, like, the different parts that would excite you the most. And so we were trying to – we were in that realm. Of, like, editing other – making new content for yeah, this purpose. Yeah, yeah. And um, – Which does sound neat. I it mean, does. Yeah. And that's part of what um, – I think eventually it would be interesting to sort of try something like that again. But trailers were sitting there in our, with our video team in L.A. And they were like, these are already ready. Let's just try these. And they happened to work extremely well. And at that point, I actually stepped off the project and Michaela and Glenn took it over. So All right. So you continue the process. Yeah. Yes. So she handed over the baton um, with some designs and prototypes, had started talking with prototypers about it. Um, so I made like a vision video of how it could work and flow. Um, what did you make that in? After Effects. Okay. Yeah. And so we started, our manager and PM were getting excited about this idea and wanted to try and socialize it a bit more. And the more they showed it around, people showed a lot of excitement about it. I think it was this idea of how does social work in the world of Netflix. And this was a toe in the water to kind of see how can we show someone a show in a short amount of time in a new feature and get them excited about the show and really like explain in an immersive way what it would feel like to watch it, which is trailers. Um, so once the the prototype and the demo were shopped around, I started working with engineering to kind of figure out, okay, we set this bar pretty high with this, you know, cool design and cool animation uh right you're basically i mean after effects Adobe after effects you can do anything in that right yep. so you had no rules about downloading or playing no. or all that stuff you just were like let's make a video yeah and yeah. so starting to speak with the engineers we they realized okay we need to be able to run multiple videos and load multiple videos in a row you know the idea of swiping through they have to load really fast or else it's not going to be a good experience for anybody so and and interestingly from an engineering perspective we had worked on this problem space of being able to jump around multiple videos or across one video 
um, a lot for our branching narrative titles where that also was a requirement. So there had already been some work done in the back end yeah. to support this kind of feature. Yeah, they they knew this was going to be an, a, a big move and a big shift. So I think they were ready for it. And this gave them the opportunity to say, now it's time. Let's go. Did you take it to Qual at all at any point? We did. We did tiny Qual here um, within the office and had a bunch of different people come in just to kind of figure out like, okay, if you're – do you go in and out of the row? Do you stay in it? Because we had maybe hoped that there would be serendipitous discovery. Mm-hmm. So if you s- click on something that you know you want to see the preview for, would you roll into another and another and learn about new shows that you never would have thought you would have watched? But maybe the trailer caught you enough that you would actually turn on something that you normally wouldn't. So um, what kind of things from the tiny qual or from just sharing it around the office did you go, oh, that's – that's not something I would have expected. What, what what led you to something new? I think we were okay with what we learned because I think maybe we thought this could happen, but people like to hunt in peck. So they like to scroll the row and they like to see a broad range of things before they're willing to really enter in and commit um, because the immersive video does feel like now I'm in it um, and they like to see multiple things. So that balancing act, um, we had to kind of consider like, do we keep these short? Could we go longer with video? Making it easy to close, like swiping down instead of having to reach up and tap the X, especially on holding a mobile phone. We have to consider where your hand naturally lays. Especially these new phones, these big yep. phones, yeah. Yep. Um, and I noticed that also in that design you kind of have this a logo, and the logo kind of hints to which ones are coming up next. So you have a bit of a hint about what shows are to the left and right, or at least to the right as you're swiping through. And is that the kind of thing that was added because you saw people – Uh, the way they were interacting with it? Yeah, I think that was actually designed in the early rounds to have the logo for the following two or three there just so that people – we know that people love to see more than one option. Yeah. Um, So I think we went into it knowing that, uh, and it definitely helped people understand like, okay, if I don't like this, I'm not locked in. I can just tap over and it's okay. But then it – People do what they they naturally love to do anyway, so people will still close it, scroll over a few, and tap back in. But Which you can also do. People yeah. still had fun with it, so it did really well. Did you uh, – did like I assume this test has been running for some time now. Did you see any like behavioral change? Like at first people are hesitant to jump into one of these stories and they want to find the one that sounds good for them. And then they learn there's a bunch coming up and then soon they're just hitting the first one and just scrolling through. Did like – do you see a – a usage of Netflix change because now they've discovered this new feature. I don't think that we ended up seeing a huge usage change. Um, I think on average, almost a lot of users entered and would at least watch one. Sometimes it was more than one. There are certain people that just plow through and love watching yeah. as many as possible. Um, so it, it, it benefited people discovering things that they normally wouldn't have, which was what we were, our primary goal was. So in achieving that, it was a success and we have rolled it out on um, iOS phones and it's soon to be hopefully rolled out on Android. So I wouldn't share the case on Android. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's in test almost done. So it's it's looking great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Alex was talking about the different way that, you know, uh, we work here and the kind of freedom aspect and having to find your own path. Do you find the same kind of things happen for yes. you? Yes. When I started, I felt like I, I had this fear of um, not knowing what to do right out of the gate because it was so different from everywhere I came um, prior to this that you would just have this huge room for impact and choosing what you feel is going to be the best for your team, for the future design of the experience. And 
like Alex said, your, our manager does not say, you need to do this by this date, you need to attack this, or hey, look at this thing and give it a go. Um, you're kind of left up to your own devices and your own passions to really define that and run with it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sometimes you have a million ideas and maybe one is the, the one that impacts the business that is at one of those goal points for the team or for the business. They say, this is actually a good time for this idea. We'll go with it. But finding that um, took me a while um, without being scared of, you know, the bar is so high. You're surrounded by this excellence of everyone here. And it takes some time to realize that you were brought onto this team because you fit into that bar of excellence yeah. and you all work together and have trust because no one's slacking. Like everyone is going um, 100 miles an hour, but they're doing it towards their passions, which is really different. As, as you discovered that about why you were there, did that fear go away? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did did you have a, a manager come alongside you, coworkers, kind of give you feedback to help you understand, like, oh, I'm not taking these initiatives just because I'm simply afraid to do so, even though I'm producing the right work or the quality of work that's actually expected? Yeah, I think it was one of my first meetings where I did some rough motion design comps for um, a design experience, and so I brought like I don't know, fifteen ideas. I was like, which one do you guys lean towards? And they're like, you tell us. Like, you are the pro at this. You pick, you run with it. And that was my first kind of aha moment. Um, And then I would go ask for feedback and say, hey, so if I come to a meeting, is it best to come with what I believe is the number one? Is that how this works? Um, And just having one-on-ones, the candor here is just amazing and being able to have those raw conversations with anyone on your team managers leadership uh, different teams that you may not even be on or talk to very often they can give you insight onto how you could be better at your job all the time which is just outstanding um roughly how big is the design group are we talking like 10 people we're we talking about 100 people somewhere in between that i'm assuming do you know the experienced design team in Los Gatos is around 50 people. There's designers also down in Los Angeles. Um, what are they doing? They're not product design. What kind of design do they do? Marketing, things of that nature? Yeah? yeah. So they're also working on visual design. So when you come into the Netflix experience, the um, art that sort of gives you an idea of what a title is about, um, that's what they're working on as well down there. Do you work a lot with them? Yes. So we specifically have a designer based in L.A. for the mobile team, and he's fantastic. And he does focus more on visuals, and we're collaborating on lots of projects at this time. And that's really to have someone down there closer to the content so they can, like, get what they need from the shows. It's like, like, like for example, you were talking about the previous idea initially was different bits of video from the show. That, of course, has to be created and and, uh, cultivated from the creative teams down there. Right. Not only that, but we are a not just a tech company, we're a Hollywood company. And so that's why we do have our main offices in L- in LG and LA. And so I think as a rule, we're trying to get much closer to the LA team and really build those strong relationships that, you know, ideas can flow from both places. Yeah, that's cool. I, and do you guys travel down there at all? Yes, all and what, the time. What do you do when you travel down there? We meet with designers, with um Anyone down there, we have um, project managers, we, you know, video, our video partners down there as well, um, all kinds of things. What other parts of like the freedom and responsibility culture affect how you do your job? What else um, works or doesn't work for you? Uh, one aspect that I would say is um, with freedom and responsibility, it's, it's up to you to kind of collaborate with different 
teams and work cross-platform. Uh, we try as hard as we can to never work in silos, even though we have a mobile design team and a TV design team. Um, motion design naturally falls a little bit more cross-platform, but really understanding your partners. You're never told to go learn who the engineers are that will be working on the product to create a close relationship with them so you know how to work best with each other. Um, so I've you know, taken the responsibility on myself to go out and make sure I bond with different partners throughout the team so that we just have a more seamless workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I have an idea, going and socializing it to other teams that may not hear about it right away just to kind of see, do you also have this idea? And if they do and they're further along, like it's their freedom to go ahead with it too. And it's also on me to say, you know, why don't you take this whole thing and just go with it and work together or inform each other. Um, it's a very much like a handing the baton, um, but it's up to you to figure out how you do that with whom and for what project, like what's the best way to do that. In the early dot-com era, for me, I was kind of a webmaster, you know, engineer, designer, kind of all-in-one person. And I recall sitting in meetings where a lot of people had opinions of the color blue we should be using for a border of some box. And I just remember leaving that meeting going, this is sucking the life out of me. And I, I think I left creative design from a professional perspective at that point and just never looked back, just always engineering and art and creative stuff on the side. How do you maintain the, that that core of passion and of design and beauty and all that with the pressures of needing to you know satisfy 100 million people? Yeah, that's... That's a tough one. I think we're we're working on that all every day with every project to make sure that we have balance between designers who are some of the best that are in the area and the engineers that are also the best um, so that we have you know the the ability to be the best in our field and collaborate with each other to reach the higher bar of things because I think it can fall short sometimes when you have a battle over button color, but if it really does move metrics and it has an impact on the user, then it, yes, it should be considered. But I think it's balancing all those different aspects of data design, um, product leadership, and really making a best decision for the product overall, not willy nilly rainbow colors everywhere all the time. Um, so yeah, it's a per case situation. So what about the pressure aspect? Is there a lot of pressure to produce more and more and more? Like if you've got all this freedom to do the things that make sense to you and you make the wrong decision on what makes sense, like say, let's say we find out that the, pre- the previous experience doesn't work at all and all of a sudden you guys have spent all this time on something that we throw away. Is there a lot of pressure to next project hit it out of the park and, and be more successful or be more creative or whatever the things necessary to be better at your job? No. I mean, I think we're always trying to learn and even tests that fail, fail for a reason. And it's only wasted time if you don't learn anything from it. So there definitely will be tests in your tenure here at Netflix that just completely fall flat. And that's okay as long as you take those learnings and you move on to the next project with that new information in mind. How do you share those learnings with other people so that we we grow, you know, all of us learn the same errors? Yeah, we have a, a meeting called Design show that allows all of those 50 designers under Steve Johnson to get together and talk about those things. So we're encouraged to share early and often with the team and say, hey, here's this brand new idea I'm thinking of, or hey, we're going to go to test with this, or hey, this shipped, or hey, um, it's it's a test and it failed, and here's why. 
So um, in that meeting, we're sort of encouraged to share our learnings from both successful and um, unsuccessful tests. What would change here to make you want to leave? Like what, what could change that would make you want to leave the company? I think losing the freedom and responsibility. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, going back to a structure where my manager tells me what to work on, I think now would be almost a nightmare. Yeah, same. I, I would my say My biggest the same fear thing. of changing companies mm-hmm. is that exact same principle. Yeah, or if you have a brilliant idea and you know that it speaks to data and you know that it would be a great move for the company and not being heard, I think would be really, really excruciating. Yeah, I can imagine because anyone from anywhere in the company can have a brilliant idea, and if it is actually going to be a great experience, it's given a, a chance here. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah, thank you. This has been the We Are Netflix podcast. You can follow us and give us feedback via social media, at We Are Netflix. My co-host is on Twitter, at underscore Michael Paulson, and you can find me on Twitter, at Lyle. That's just L-Y-L-E. Thanks for listening. I'm Lyle Troxel.